0: Welcome, folks, to the ninth episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where three old guys are talking Houston Cougars basketball with a bit of Big 12 conference coverage added in as well. We have some really exciting news to announce today. We've been picked up by the great folks at GoCougs.com who provide the deepest and broadest coverage of Houston Cougars around bar none. What that means here is that our podcast, starting with this episode, will come under the umbrella of all the incredible content that Goku's.com provides, and it will increase our ability to reach Houston Cougar fans everywhere. It's also personally a really big deal for us three here on the podcast because it really legitimizes what we've been trying to provide, as well as recognizes the great fan support you all have provided. Otherwise, who in the right mind would want to waste their time with us? So before we get into this episode, I just wanted to thank everyone. Ryan and Brad at GoCougs.com for the consideration and inclusion. Tom for providing and starting this endeavor with me. Bill for joining us over the last few weeks to enable what I always envisioned as a three-person podcast. And most importantly, is a big thank you to the fans that have supported us as we kick this podcast off this season. We're three old nobodies, and we deeply appreciate the Cougar Nation support from day one. That has far, far exceeded our expectations we've got things started so now on to today's episode we just got through our marquee win so far and 11th of the season over sec opponent texas a&m but it was a costly one with sophomore six man terence arsenal potentially lost for the season with what is feared to be a torn achilles tendon We've got two games left this year to adjust to that loss and find out who's able to step up and fill the void before conference play begins versus West Virginia on January 6th. So pivotal two to three weeks ahead for Coach to play with the puzzle pieces for this next phase of the season. And today we are again fully stacked with Tom Lidiak. Bill Walker, and myself, Steve Chang, for this week's episode, and we'll start off with our usual summary of the two Houston Cougar games that were played, with a primary focus on the Texas A&M game, move into a quick preview of the Texas State game, then do something a little bit different and provide a summary of the Big 12 Big East challenge results. Okay, let's get right into it, gentlemen. In recapping the two games played, let's spend a few minutes on the Jackson State game, then focus the vast majority of the time analyzing the Texas A&M game. So, Tom, what are your coaches' thoughts on our 89-55 win over Jackson State?
1: Jackson State, they kept it close for a half. And then in the second half, you know, we did what we needed to do, and we just blew them out of the water. You know, they were a uh, Jackson State team. I thought they were undisciplined. They talked a lot. I call that false false toughness. Uh, you know, any, anybody can talk. but Can you walk the walk, you know? Uh, so we came out in the second half, and then just— Blew them out of the water, but they, you know, Texas State gave us a game for, you know, for about for about a half, and then, you know, our our culture and uh, you know our discipline and our talent uh, took over after that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hey, Bill, wh- what did you think from a player's perspective?
2: Well, yeah, I, we were up only seven at half, and and they did talk, and they actually were, I mean, they kept it competitive uh, for one half, actually for the, for the majority of the game that. The rebounding, the, the field goal percentage, uh, a lot of it was similar. The, the one thing that was not similar and not even close, and this is what enabled us to blow them out, were the turnovers. With four seconds left in the game, we missed a shot. They rebounded it. That allowed them to end the game with 25 rebounds and 24 turnovers. I don't recall ever attending a game or watching a game where a team had as many turnovers as they had rebounds. I mean, that that was the game.
0: Yeah, that was.
2: We we turned them over. I mean, unbelievably turned them over. We created points off of the turnovers, uh, more shots, and and we ended up blowing them out. I mentioned to you earlier, Steve. I've got to imagine a with you know coming. We played Xavier. We we played you know Utah. We clearly came out flat against. Jackson stayed. We we didn't look that good in the first half. I would have to imagine w- without knowing that Kelvin probably read them the riot act at halftime. And I would <laughs> not have wanted to have been in that locker room, but uh the second half was I mean it was a 180-degree difference and uh and they obviously responded well to whatever he yeah he had to articulate to them at halftime. And I've just never seen a game where a team turned the ball over as much as they rebounded and that was the difference. They could not keep up with our defense for 40 minutes.
0: Yeah. I mean, the starters were Shed, Cryer, Sharp, Roberts, and Francis again. So we've had a steady dose of the same starting five. We won every quarter of the game, but we were only up eight at the half. Jackson State was a pesky team that played with a bit of attitude and chip on their shoulders. So it was a little bit contentious, which I kind of liked, kind of kept you know, kept the attention of our team. It was actually pretty entertaining to get some of the juices going because they just didn't back down. But as you guys had mentioned, come second half, Cougars were just too much and ran away with it. If you look at the stats, I'm not going to burn too many cycles on this one, but we actually played a little bit below last year's standard on offense overall with our effective field goal percentage and turnover percentage a bit worse than normal. But we offensive rebounded like heck. 51%, which is crazy. And our standard last year was 37% in Kempom. We were a little bit below standard on most of the defensive metrics as well. But as you had it highlighted, Bill, we forced them to turn over on 35% of their possessions. That's nuts, right? And we were we're exceptional last year at 21%, but we blew that statistic out of the water. So anyways, next game and the one that we really want to focus on, and that was the 70-66 to 66 win over Texas A&M at the Toyota Center in Houston. This was a highly anticipated non-conference game versus our nearby SEC team, but it was a costly one. So Bill, what are your thoughts on our gutsy win against Texas A&M?
2: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, just horrified by Arsenal's injury. What happened to him? I mean, it... it it sucks. He's gotten bigger this year. He's played hard. He's been better on the defensive end, rebounding. He clearly bought into Calvin's system. He's done everything that's been asked of him. I mean, it it's just brutal to go down like that you know a non contact non contact injury and be you know done for the year. It's tough, and it's going to mean that that now the the bench is going to be shorter and and there are a couple players that are going to absolutely have to step up quickly. Yep. With that said, we were the better team. Plain and simple, we were the better team. We, we got out to, I mean, we were up 21. We, we outplayed them after their seven Oh start. We outplayed them. Pryor was, was great in the first half. Shed was great. We defended them. It was a great first half and beginning of the second half. You know, Buzz Williams is a, is a very good coach and he made a, a very good, uh, decision for them to go to a you know I thought it was kind of a 3-2 matchup I mean maybe it was just a 3-2 but with with the stipulation that wherever Cryer is you're not defending an area you're defending him and and it worked our our offense which has had issues over the past few years you know we go into lapses we lapsed and they got back into the game and uh, you know and, and we struggled to score with that said you know I've read a lot I've seen message board posts and people saying that that Shed, it was the worst game that Shed played, and I I could not disagree more. I'm willing to bet that in Kelvin's history, no player has probably scored 26 points in one half. Taylor was unbelievable, and it's not like he was getting open shots and just dribbling by Shed, or Shed was just not playing well. He was hitting off-balance threes. Yeah, there were a couple times when, when Shed went for steals and missed, and Taylor hit shots, but I mean, Taylor was unbelievable and he hasn't shot that well this year. If, if we play them again, instead of going 10 of 22 from the field, there's a good chance that he goes four of 22 from the field. And he may do that against other teams. He just, he had a a, a game for the ages and shed, shed guarded him for most of the game. I was surprised. I thought that, that, that he was having to work so hard Taylor that is to get the shots off that he may wear down and the and the shots would not fall toward the end of the game, but uh give him credit. He had an unbelievable game and sometimes great offense can beat great defense, and then that's just simply what happened. They came in as a statistically better rebounding team. We we were even with them, thirty seven rebounds each. They got a, a transfer from Duke, got an offensive rebound off a missed free throw at the end, and it turned into a three pointer. A is a good rebound very very good rebounding team i think number two in the nation we we stuck with him uh roberts was his typical solid solid self inside he got rebounds he did everything i thought uh you know even though he had a little bit of foul trouble again tugler played well when he was in there i thought i thought he He was good and actually he got two really quick fouls then he Played well, he kind of played within himself the rest yes. of the game and stayed on the floor. Didn't he? Ended up with four fouls, but he didn't foul out. He, you know, he he played intelligently the rest of the way.
0: Uh, I, I think he only had three in the end. Did if he? I looked I at thought, the box. Well, I out. thought he
2: had four, but maybe maybe I'm yeah. wrong. Yeah, I mean, look, we we were the better team. We we were simply the better team. I will argue that with anyone. Taylor just shot the lights out, and he's. He's not going to do that every game. Other players are not going to do that against us, although it happens, I guess, from time to time. Yeah. But uh the only thing I'm concerned about is the depth and the productivity of, of Arsenal not being on the floor going forward. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully Dunn's the one that I that I keep thinking about in terms of stepping up. And now he yeah. he really needs to. And, and I mean, now it's critical heading into Big Twelve play. And uh we'll see what happens. Sharp was huge down the stretch and uh and i think he's gonna continue to play well for us and i i think now that he knows that that his role is gonna be more important and and uh more critical i think that he's gonna step up and play well so overall i'm pleased it was they got back into it because because of an aberration wade taylor went nuts
0: yeah no great great observations there bill how about tom what do you think from a coach's view
1: yeah, I, I don't know where to start. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about, <laughs> and Bill Bill touched on a lot of those. But I think what's kind of concerning is that when Terrence went down, we didn't see Wilson or Ramon get any any kind of yes. Message. But yep. with with these two non conference games uh, going in before the West Virginia game, Kelvin and staff are going to have time to you know to figure this all out, but. I'm predicting that if Ramon gets consistent minutes, we're going to see the form that he had when he was a freshman. It's difficult as a player when you don't know, you know, going into a game, how many minutes you're going to get, or whether you're going to get in the game at all. And I think if he gets consistent minutes, you know, he knows that he's going to be in the game. Then I think we're going to see, you know, the, uh, the old Ramon that was a freshman. So it's, you know, it's tough in his case when you you never know when your number is going to get called and how much playing time you're going to get. But that, that's what I, I thought was concerning. With uh, was even after Terrence went down, you know, we didn't see Wilson or Ramon, and we're going to need one or or both of those in in Big Twelve play because you never know we might have more injuries. You just never you just never know. Uh, so I mean, right now the bench is uh, Tugler and Dunn, and Dunn didn't look the best. Uh, I, I know Randy posted on Go Cougs that he came out the game with the best plus minus. I, I don't know. How in the heck? What? Whoever was doing the stats on that? No, option. I I don't think you know, so. Not
0: according I, to my stats. He had a terrible plus minus. On,
1: <laughs> two on one should have been a minus twenty right there. Yeah, yeah. We were down 7-0 to start the game, but we finished on a thirty eight to sixteen run. It was probably the best basketball we played all year. And then, yes, Bill alluded to we came out in the second half and even you know extended the lead to uh, from fifteen to twenty one, and then. Uh, molasses in our offense set in buzz went to more it's like when you witness an accident and you ask people that that were there they all have different you know different uh takes (laughs) on on what went on and i did too because uh, you know before i went back and watched most of the second half and looked at our offensive possessions i thought it was they went strictly uh zone and that's what that's what hurt us. But I had our 14 possessions. I didn't get through the whole game, but out of the next 14 possessions, when they went to that first possession of zone, I had AM playing man to man on eight of those 14 possessions. They did a good job, you know, disguising the 3 2 zone. They play a switching man to man, which sometimes looks like a zone, but you can kind of tell whether we were in 3 2 or not because uh, number 13, Washington, was at the top. You know, he was at the top of the zone. But, uh, you know, and then we missed some shots with decent ball movement. Sometimes we missed shots without any ball movement. Those 14 possessions, we got a couple of offensive rebounds. Uh, But for the most part, you know, a lot of the possessions wasn't a whole lot of of movement. And got down late in the shot clock, we ended up hoisting some shots. But uh, bottom line, yeah, we were the better team because we won, (laughs) you know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to think of some other things I, I had had down here. Uh, you know, 63, 63. Uh, we come out of a timeout and Kelvin runs. Uh, you know, one of his favorite plays is it, hammer action, where he throws the ball to Juwan, Jamal, gets it back, and he just drives like mad baseline. And then you got a, a screen for LJ in the in the other corner. And I think the A&M had so much focus on LJ in the corner that they just allowed Francis to slip and nobody picked yeah. him. Got that dunk. And they only had what two or three or two or three team fouls, so they had yep. you know, they could have fouled the crap out of him, but they didn't have time to. And and uh, and Francis flushed that one, the big three by Sharp. Yep, yep. No, wasn't a whole lot of ball movement. It was like swing guard, guard, throw to Sharp, and you know he pump faked. Yep, and the guy got a guy up in the air and then and knocked down the three. But Emmanuel's done that so many times in his career already, hitting the timely. Uh, timely threes. Um, yeah, just cold blooded, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, dagger. Uh, just, yeah, just a dagger. I'm sure there's probably a metric somewhere about kind of like in baseball when you have all these numbers and all these stats. You know, about when you hit your threes. Uh, yeah, stat for that or are not? Yeah, you, know, you know, you can be a 32 percent three point shooter and hit the key ones or you can be a 40% three point shooter. But when it comes to the crunch time, you just nut up and miss, you know? Uh So yeah, big game, big game for us, uh, on our schedule so far. And we won, but, uh, as you and Bill alluded to, you know, it's a bummer losing, losing Terrence because, uh, he was off to a good year and, you know, totally bought in. He was doing the things that, you know, Kelvin wants him to do and, yeah, now we have to have guys that that are going to step have to step up going going forward the rest of the year. Okay. Yeah, for the Texas A and M game. Yeah. And Steve, another thing is with Terrence playing some four when we went small and and our lack of depth with our big guys, we're going to see how effective you know I think the the small lineup is going to be going you know going forward we'll much see. tougher,
0: right? Because yeah. Terrence was much longer than Walker. Right and more yeah. athletic yeah, as well. So we'll see.
1: And and like like that year where we lost Tramon and Marcus, it was around Christmas time, I think it was, and yeah, uh, <clears throat> we uh, we canceled the Cincinnati game because of that's right, I'll cough here, COVID, which, <laughs> helped, <laughs> which allowed us about a week to re engineer our offense. Yeah. So you know, this could be this could be a time with these two non-conference games before West Virginia, that maybe we do some, uh, a few things different because of losing Terrence.
0: Completely agree.
1: This was a really strange
0: game, but a fun, intense one in the end, really a tale of two halves. And if you broke the game into quartiles, we really dominated the first two. And if you look more closely, we dominated two and a half quartiles of the game. We led by 15 at the half and even led by 21, as Bill had mentioned, Early on in the second half, then we started taking the air out of the ball and ran the clock down on every possession. And that really gave the opportunity for Wade Taylor to do what I call his best Nigel Pack imitation from last year's NCAA tournament loss to Miami, hitting every inconceivable off-balance three-pointer out there when they even finally tied the game late. I think it was at the one minute 31 second mark that they tied it at 63 apiece. our starters are again were jamal crier sharp roberts and francis our rotation as you guys had mentioned tightened up again against a tougher opponent and it just became that much tighter with arsenos injury in the first half and it's really just a terrible terrible injury if if what we've read is actually true we played a seven man rotation with only tugler and Dunn playing any significant minutes Roberts, Sharp, and Cryer all played 36 or 37 minutes apiece. Shed played 32 minutes in what looked like a total blowout at one point became a really tight battle at the end. And Shed and Sharp were really key at that end to pull out the win. With, as you had highlighted, Shed's drive and drop off to Francis for the monster dunk, then Shed rebound off a Taylor miss and then feeding Sharp for the killer three, just sealed it for the Cougars. Taylor made another three, then Dunn actually made what could have been a crucial error with an out-of-bounds play to cause every Cougar a heart attack at that point. But we held on after sharp ice things with two free throws. I'm really devastated, as you guys are, with Terrence's injury, if it, if that ends up being confirmed on Monday. He was really starting to come into his own, feeling more comfortable playing a stretch four off the bench. We were already short on size, and this just makes it that much more difficult as we get ready for Big 12 play. And these next two games, all of a sudden, as you guys had both had mentioned, become key, because that's really the time where we figure out whether Ramon Walker and Damian Dunn have got what it takes to step up and fill the gap. I also believe that this game may have been the pivotal point where Tugler will start to average more minutes than Francis going forward at the five. He had four points, five rebounds, three block shots, zero turnovers in 21 minutes, disrupting passing lanes and just bothering both Coleman and Washington when in the game, just due to his length, long arms, and his His activity, quite honestly. More importantly, he was a plus-minus six point seven for the game, while Francis was a player box score plus-minus negative two point one, according to Bart Torvik. As you dig into the advanced analytics from Ken Palm on offense, our effective field goal percentage was too standard at basically just under fifty-two percent, and that was even with a terrible second half shooting performance by the team. We turned the ball over a little bit more than usual, especially in the second half, again, at 18.39%, where we're typically around the 15%. And we offensive rebounded, though, above standard, which is really, really key against the number one offensive rebounding team in the country. So we offensive rebounded 43.24% of our rebounds versus our standard of 37%. On defense, we played to standard and were exceptional in the first half, limiting Texas A&M to 42.73% effective field goal percentage, forced them to 18.5% turnovers, which was just a tiny bit below our standard. And we limited three-point percentage to 33.3% shooting, and that was after that torrid second half by Taylor. And really key was blocking... 35.71% of their two-point shots. That was a huge difference for us. Basically, we were stellar overall on defense, except for Wade Taylor, who just went crazy in the second half. So a great win for our Cougars, but a costly one with Arsenault's injury. Now let's just do a a quick preview of the upcoming Houston-Texas State game. Tom, what do you think?
1: (laughs) Uh, before you talk to Texas State, one more little uh, tidbit about uh, about Wade Taylor. Sure. You know, I haven't read a whole lot of comments anybody of anybody bashing Shedd's defense, but a lot of times when Taylor scored, it's in the pick-and-roll, and it's a team defense, you know, so you can't just uh, put it all on Shed. and then I think there were about three times in the second half where Taylor just split our pick-and-roll defense, and that's that's probably on the big,
0: mm-hmm. so,
1: you know. When Taylor's coming off the when he's coming off the uh, the the screen, he's you know he was splitting and shed and and whoever the big was. So it's not always on you know the guy guarding guarding the defender because it's a team defense. But yeah, that's a great point. Taylor probably had yeah, as you and uh, you and Bill allude to, Taylor probably had a career game in his his college career. I mean, he was the SEC Player of the Year last year, I believe. So he was yeah. So you know he's not chopped liver. Having said that, I'm, I'm not trading Jamal Shed for any other point guard no chance in the in the country because you know we won the game. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. Okay, no, back to ta- and
2: again, again, it was th- some of those shots that Taylor hit were were completely off balance shots. That I mean, they're they're shots that he's. You go back, however many games they've played so far, he has not hit those shots so far. He's. He came into the game not shooting well. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it was an aberration. And, and you're right, Tom. He did he did split the double team a couple times. I know he got by Tugler a couple of times. And that's, you know, Tugler will get better. Calvin will certainly be on him about that. I don't want to say once in a lifetime, but that was something that we're not going to see again, I don't think. Yeah, The, the shots he shot were just – it's not like he was getting himself in position, getting set, and just drilling – straight on uncontested three pointers. I mean, Sh- Shed was there most of the time. He was off balance
1: and, and he just had a
2: game for the ages.
1: Period. Yeah. yeah. And next game he he'll probably have those same shots and miss them all. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's go to the Texas State game. Who do you want to go first? Steve? Yeah, go ahead, Tom. The only thing about I know about Texas State is they aren't very good. That's the only <laughs> thing about. <them>. <laughs> 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 and that that they, they used to be called Southwest Texas State Teachers College. And I think LBJ graduated from there. That's about, I don't know, a few more things. They won a couple of D2 football championships under Jim Wax back in the day. <laughs> I had a bunch of friends go there. And, you know, so I think they drank a lot and they floated yeah. down those rivers. And <laughs> that's that's my scout report on Texas State.
0: There Seriously, you go. So I'd,
1: like, I'd like to see. You know uh, what the rotation is going to be with uh, without Terrence in there. I think we'll get a chance to see because I think we'll we'll have a comfortable lead, and it's a lot easier to put in you know Wilson and Ramon when you're up fifteen or eighteen rather than put them in a game with a And M when you're only up you know seven or eight. So you know, hopefully, hopefully they can get some playing time, and then they can they can build their confidence up because like we all said already in this in this podcast, we're going to need them in conference play yeah exactly how about you bill what do you think
2: well they're currently five and five in the sun belt they've been in a 14 team conference they're predicted as i've seen them predicted as high as sixth place i've seen them predicted as low as 12th so they're not going to be most likely competing for the sun belt title very likely a one bid league but they're going to be competitive they've had two games against known teams decent teams they lost by 19 at Texas. They lost by 39 at Oklahoma. So there you go. Their coach, he's been there three years, Terrence Johnson. He's 55 and 34. So he is winning games, you know, about yep. 18 and 11 per year. Uh, I love this quote from him. Their defensive efficiency has dipped all three years that he's been there. And going into this year, he said the number one priority was making more shots. i like, <laughs> Well, that's that's interesting. Sounds like Mike You'll D'Antoni. <laughs> yeah. If anyone listening wants to do their own scouting report and actually it, I guess after you hear the podcast the game will already have been played, but tomorrow night they've got a big game. They're playing the Laterno Yellow Jackets and I think it's on ESPN Plus. So so there is an <laughs> opportunity to scout them. I also noticed on their website Tickets are going for as low as forty three dollars, so you better buy them quickly.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I could go through some of their players. They've got one one guy who's okay. His name's Caden Gums. He's a six two point guard. He's let them in assists in seven of their ten games. He's let them in scoring in a couple. They've had six leading scores in in their ten games. Uh, some of the players multiple times. So they don't they don't have any dominant player. They don't have any really good player. Another great quote from Terrence Johnson was that uh, he thought Gums could be one of the greatest players in Texas State history. And I thought, does Texas State even have a great
0: player in their history?
2: (laughs) I I mean, I certainly had to thought about it for a while. I can't even think of a single player that went there. So I'm not sure if that's a, a, you know, how complimentary that is, but uh, that's about all I've got on Texas State. It's it's going to be, it's going to be a, you know, if there's any letdown after AM that that could affect things a little bit, but I'd say U of H by 30 to 35.
0: Yeah, no good call. I mean UH is still number one in Ken Palm at this point. Texas State is 171. So not the worst team. We've played far worse teams on the on our schedule so far. So I'd say yeah, in the end it's still gonna be a huge margin of victory. We're 16th in adjusted offensive efficiency, where they're number 79 in adjusted defensive efficiency. On the flip side, we're number one in adjusted defensive efficiency. And if you're telling me that the coach's focus was on improving, making shots, well, they're number 276th in adjusted offensive efficiency. So I don't think he's doing a very good job this year. They're a terrible shooting team, ranked number 314th in effective field goal percentage, and a bad turnover team, ranking 301st in turnover percentage. Terrible, terrible combo. Then you match that up against our number three effective field goal percentage defense that defends every shot, and we're number three defensively in steals as well. It's just going to be terrible for Texas State. And on the other side, Texas State is only okay at defending shooters, ranked number 88 in effective field goal percentage, and they don't defensive rebound very well, ranking 207th. It's so really the key is you guys had both mentioned as well is making sure that Ramon Walker and Dunn get the minutes, get going and regain some of that confidence from coach. Cause we're really going to need them going into big 12 play. So now next let's get into a fun discussion. And at this point in time, we've finished the big 12 big East challenge and guess what? Big 12 flexed its muscles in one, seven, four. we had Houston over Xavier Kansas over UConn, which is a big win, Baylor over Seton Hall, TCU over Georgetown, Kansas State over Villanova, uh, Iowa State over DePaul, OU over Providence. And the, the teams that lost, probably the teams, if I had to pick some, UT lost to Marquette, which I was not too sad about. Tech lost to Butler. not losing any sleep there. OSU lost to Creighton and West Virginia lost to St. John's who wants to go first, Tom, you want to give some of your thoughts on the big 12, big East challenge first.
1: Yeah. And real quick one, one little more uh, snippet about Texas state. If we give up uh, 50 points, Kelvin's going to have an aneurysm and our, t- <laughs> our team will wish they had died. Young boys. Uh, <laughs> if we give up, you know, 50 and then it, Say injury free. I mean, these next two games we have to we you know you can't control those things. You can't control injuries, but you know you just have to pray to the basketball gods that 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 we don't have any more injuries. Uh, Getting back to the the matchup, you know, the Big East, Big Twelve. I'm surprised with Tech giving up so many points. Uh, I haven't seen all their scores, but you know they were in one game they gave up 89 and and uh, McCaslin Grant McCaslin, the Tech coach, you know his. At North Texas, they were like one one of the best defensive teams in, in the country, and that's what they that's what he hangs his hat on. And OOFTA, I mean, they gave they've been getting up some points, so I think it's uh, and they were going to be one of my surprise teams in the Big Twelve this year, but right now it's not looking not looking that way for them. Iowa State beating DePaul, DePaul's not very good. UConn and Kansas, I didn't get to see the game. But from what people were posting, Kansas, I guess, got the the benefit of the doubt on some some calls or whatever. But everything that loses always cries about the officiating. Yeah. Uh, that was a fun game to watch, though. Yeah, That I've, was uh, niptuck. I've, so I didn't get to see any of that, but yeah, Marquette stomping Texas. Uh, I didn't get to see any of that game, but I love uh, I love the final score. <laughs> of that one. Yeah. Those are my thoughts on, on, on those games and our Xavier game. You know, we, we rehashed that one already.
0: Okay. How about you, Bill? What were your thoughts on the Big 12's uh, kind of dominating performance over the Big East?
2: Yeah, I had uh, someone someone asked me to predict the games before they took place, and I had the Big 12 winning 6-5. The one, I can't remember which one I missed, but doesn't matter. It played out pretty much like I thought it would. Yeah. Uh, I watched... Right. It was immediately after the uh the U of H Xavier game was the Yukon Kansas game. So I watched that and uh and I know this was at a time when Kansas came off their loss in, in Maui to Marquette and and yep. uh and I predicted Kansas would win. Uh, you guys didn't necessarily agree with me. Yeah. And, yep. and, and I don't wanna take a lot off. of yeah, I don't want well, I don't wanna take a lot of credit for that because because that game could have gone either way and Watching the game and really having no no personal stake in it, other than you know, kind of wanting the, the Big Twelve to win, it helps us. Kansas was the beneficiary beneficiary of maybe a few more calls than, yes. than UConn got. So I don't know that I necessarily did anything particularly well, other than taking the team that was playing at Fog Allen, yeah. and uh, so that that helped. I didn't get to watch Texas Marquette, although I previewed it on the podcast a couple of times because I was at the U of H Rice game. Yeah, and we, you know we were kind of surprised that you, we kept looking up at the you know, the out of town scores and Marquette was up four, Marquette was up six, all of a sudden Marquette's up eighteen and and then up you know twenty five and we're like my God what's what's going on here and uh, so I didn't get to see it and uh, I I was surprised that Texas got beaten that badly, you know, the one, one game that surprised me and they were supposed to be better this year was TCU a, they dribbled out of bounds and it didn't get called. (laughs) That's right. And then they put up a a, kind of a wildish three that banked in to beat Georgetown (laughs) by a point. And Georgetown is (laughs) abysmal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know what, and, and it's still, and I've said this, I think probably three or four times in, Different podcasts, but it's still early in the season and th- teams are figuring things out. So I'm sure TCU is going to get better, but but that one really surprised me. Uh, I, and I saw a little bit of Baylor not be particularly challenged by Seton Hall. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Big Twelve proved overall that top to bottom they're better. And let me point out one other thing: my team, and this goes to our bet, Steve. Uh, yeah. My team, BYU, did not participate in the challenge. Yeah. Uh, because the Big Twelve has more teams, and so yeah. three of the four newcomers, BYU, Cincinnati, Central Florida, did not participate in this, and yep. and uh, so yeah, BYU participates. Who knows? Maybe it's eight three. They probably replace one of the teams that that won anyway, so it maybe stays at it at seven uh, four. But uh, yeah, again, don't sleep on BYU.
0: No, you're absolutely yeah. right. You,
1: uh, you know how John Rothstein he'll tweet insanity question mark just college basketball getting back to marquette bill because you're from milwaukee but go and they they just boat race texas and then the other night with i think a minute and a half left they're (laughs) they're they're up by one on the university of saint thomas which is out of the twin city area three years ago saint thomas was playing d3 basketball
0: yeah, that's nuts, right? Yeah. just crazy.
1: Absolutely nuts, you know. And give Marquette credit; they had to hit some tough shots down the stretch and in, in a couple of crucial free throws. Like Rothstein says, you know, insanity. You know, it's it's college basketball. You just you just never know. Yeah, I mean, these are still
0: college kids, right? In the end, mm-hmm. and so you mm-hmm. you can only control so much, right? And the pressure gets to everyone at, at some point. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, quite honestly. You know, I've been pretty sick of listening to all the East Coast media, seeing the praises of the Big East over the years and how they're the best in the land coming into the season with UConn, Marquette, Creighton in the top 10. Villanova's back this year and St. John's is becoming a monster with Patino back into the the Big East as coach. Though in general, the basketball experts have agreed that the Big 12 overall has been the number one hoops conference in the land over the last few years. But many questioned whether that would still be the case now with four newcomers coming in this year, including us, and another four from the West Coast coming in next season. Would the Big 12 now be watered down, many wondered. And, you know, so now with the holidays coming up, all the critical and big non-conference games having been completed, I thought it'd be perfect timing before conference play begins to do another assessment of conference strength at this point, based on this year's current Ken Palm rankings, but comparing conferences based on membership makeup last year, this year, as well as what it's going to look like next year, and some pretty interesting findings which I'll share with you. If we average out the current Ken Palm rankings of every conference at this point in the year, the Big 12 with four new members would still be number one with an average Ken Palm ranking of number 40 across all of the teams. And that includes the four newbies while still including Texas and OU within that count. Next closest is the Big Ten at an average of number 52 ranking. Then the SEC at third coming at 61. And then guess what? Big East isn't even in the top three. They're showing up at number four with an average ranking of number 67. Then it's the PAC and finally the ACC bringing up the rear at a lowly average of number 84. But you know what's even more interesting? If you took the four new members out of the Big 12 and based it on last year's membership, that 10-team current makeup of the Big 12 would still be number one, but their average ranking... Becomes number 44. So that's four points lower than the current makeup, which includes the four new teams and, of course, our Houston Cougars. And if you go one step further and look at next year's makeup with UT and OU out of the conference and four new PAC teams added in, the Big 12 still remains number one with an average score of 42. A bit higher than the current 40, but still better than the original 22, 23, 10-team Big 12 score of number 44. So basically, this conference in the Big 12 is by far the toughest in the land. Last season, this season, or next season... The Big 12 in every iteration is truly No Conference for Old Men. So that's it for Episode 9 of No Conference for Old Men podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if folks would follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We should now also be available on the gocougs.com website under the podcast section for those that prefer to digest the content that way. We appreciate the continued support and loyalty from all that keeps us going and continues to reinforce our view that there's an appetite out there for the type of deep college hoops insight we're trying to provide for Cougar and Big 12 fans alike. Also, please give us a follow on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening. And episode number 10 should come out uh, sometime after the Texas State game. So please be on the lookout to listen, download the next episode. Thanks again, everyone, and happy holidays.